It's not easy shepherding, or shepherdessing if that's a thing, a team towards GCSEs. You'll still worry about them when it comes to them sitting their A-levels, so imagine going through both experiences in one year. And when that year comes so soon after all of the educational disruption our teams have had, it's really not an enviable position to be in, is it? Hello and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this, our third season of the podcast, we're chatting with parents, students and teachers to hear how things are going. Specifically, I'm interested in the highs and the lows and the trials and the tribulations in the run-up to exams in 2022. We'll be covering everything from trouble getting going through to burning the candle at both ends, from being overzealous and anxious, right the way through to underperforming but nonchalant. Through these shared real-world experiences, I hope that you'll take comfort that you're not alone. And perhaps more importantly, I really hope that you'll take away some insights and some advice that will help you to support your own team. So that they'll not just survive the exams, but they'll thrive in the preparation, which I accept is quite an ambitious goal. But if you're a parent, a carer or a teacher, be sure to subscribe. This week, I'm chatting to Kate. Kate is the mum to a teenage girl, Tabitha, and a teen boy, Jude. Kate has that unenviable honour of going through both A-levels and GCSEs respectively in 2022. Kate, it's fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you. What an honour. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start by finding out a little bit about you. And I should say that, as it happens, we both used to go to school together. And um, although we, we've agreed, and I'm sticking to it, that we're not going to work out just how long ago that was. Yeah, that's um, not. It was just before our, GC, mm-hmm. or before our GCSE years when, when I left. And as I remember, um, you were always quite studious at school. Now, am I making that up? I think you might be a little bit making it up. I think <laughs> I think I I was a trier. Everyone loves a trier. I don't think a lot of things came as easily to me as they did perhaps to my sister, who was a, a very scholarly type and still is. But I think I, I had to work for it, perhaps because I had that, you know, the pressure of being the younger sister, I think, mm. to a high achiever. You know, it made me certainly have to dig deep and, you know, do you know what my sort of my approach to, I suppose, study and exams and everything carried on right the way through university. I was always the one with my notes outside the exam room. You know, everything we tell <laughs> children at school not to do now was exactly what I did. You know, <laughs> late night cramming, all of that. That's that's how I approached it. It was sort of my comfort blanket, I think. <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm eye rolling as well, but obviously that doesn't work so well on a, on a podcast. We'll come back. We'll come back to your wicked ways and, and how you're maybe addressing those with, with your children. It's interesting you talk about your older sister and that sort of comparison because last week we were talking to Barbara, and she was talking about her her two children and how actually the younger one is lesser lesser academic than the son, and mm-hmm. sort of the, the shadow that that cast, which I think is, is what you've just said. Which I think is quite interesting is then with sort of your two as well. Do you find that you treat them differently? Are they are they sort of more adept than the other? I think there are, there are various reasons why we do treat them differently. I mean, for a start, one's a boy, one's a girl. Hmm. And actually the school they go to is a diamond structure school. So it's not a very common rubric, but diamond structure means they're together co-ed from when they're four to seven. And then at seven years old, so year three, 
we split them into single sex classes. So okay. it's a co-ed site. They're taught boys and girls separately. And then they join together back in the sixth form. So there's your diamond sort of shape. And I think, you know, I teach there as well. So I've, I've had a you know, number of years sort of listening to how boys and girls learn differently and applying that to my own sort of pedagogy. But, you know, my daughter and girls, you know, my daughter would spend hours initially sort of, you know, colour coding everything and, you know, 85 different flashcards in uh, different folders without actually doing anything. You yes. know, yes. Uh, I've, never, I've never known that there were so many no. pastel shades of highlighter. Whereas my son, I suppose, is more scattergun, you know, seems to sort of apparently know where everything is on the floor of the bedroom mm. and doesn't really like too much intervention in his method, in his madness. But I think, you know, for all of those different reasons, we do treat them differently. Funnily enough, my son, he's chosen exactly the same GCSE subjects that his sister did. Oh, wow. Not because they like each other or ever want to have anything to do with each other, but <laughs> just because they like the you know similar subjects. My children are both very sporty, so they both chose PE, and my daughter's doing PE A-level and wants to go on to do sports science at university. And, you know, Jude seems to be sort of following a similar similar ilk but no collaboration at all between them obviously that'd be that'd be terrible is that do you think because um, they're, they're too close in age that there's no sort of um, nipping over the shoulder tell me can you possibly. explain what this cell biology is oh god you know jude would rather eat his own eyeball than ask his sister for any help <laughs> yeah the i think she would give it but he he doesn't want it you know, would she give it and then be smug about having been asked? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. We also, our school also does HPQs and EPQs, you know, that can sort of help grades and it's more research-based project qualification. I think there may have been a tiny bit of collaboration there, but not a huge amount. I think Jude really wants to just carve his own path and do GCSEs his own ways because, of course, mm. he feels terribly hard done by because his sister didn't actually sit the exams. So, of course, what on earth would she know about taking exams? Because, you know, she, to this date, this is the first set of, you know, serious exams that she would have done rather than internal ones. So she didn't sit her GCSE. She was in the COVID that year group year. that didn't. Yeah. Mm. So, how, do you think, um, how do you think that would have affected her? How, how did she take sort of the news of not having the exams? Was she quite looking forward to it? I think it was in some ways a blessing, in some ways a curse, I think. At the start, her cohort felt really cheated, really hard done by that, you know, everything that had gone before then meant that they then wouldn't get the chance to do it. But I think, number one, I think, let's be honest, grades were probably slightly inflated. First time that, you know, CAGs were out and schools were sort of giving these grades. It's and easy I think, to see, isn't know, it, how they would, how sort of teachers would lend themselves to more. I think one of the previous guests talked about optimism. You're effectively judging what that student would do on their best day rather than worrying yeah. about whether or not she had a bad journey in. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I've always, you know, I'd like to get on my soapbox and pontificate. I've, I've never been a fan of GCSEs. I think GCSEs are a memory test. Hmm. A-levels I'm I'm more into you know I think it's it's more of a deep dive and it, it prepares you know for university and further study and you know it's it's a far broader exam and exam process than GCSEs I do I do struggle with the you know one fit all GCSE memory test hmm. sort of scenario I think 
you know, my son has ADHD and he takes, you know, significant medication to be able to concentrate and, you know, focus and all of those sorts of things. So for somebody like him, sitting for two hours in an exam room will be an incredibly difficult situation to be in for lots of different reasons. Mm. I think schools were probably overly generous in that. Some will disagree. People shouting at your podcast already. But but what would you do? You know, you're also, you have the responsibility of saying, I've, I've taught these children and this is what I think they would attain. Well, absolutely not. I think that I said before, the teachers definitely had the worst end of that particular stick. They mm. sort of mm. a damned if you do, damned if you don't. And right. the students yeah. that went in without exams didn't get a chance to prove themselves. And certainly Tabitha's cohort didn't even get this idea of having a, a run up and proving themselves throughout the year. No. So it really was just a case of, I reckon they would have got this. Yeah. That's what I predicted them. And it is yeah. harsh. The following year, I do think you could be a little bit more <clears throat> cynical and think teachers had geared themselves up to this. You're relying on my judgment. And so you did obviously see this like uh, another increase in grades. Mm. But I mean, as you say, there's no there's no ideal to any of that. And certainly I think when you were just talking about with Tabitha not having had her exams, regardless of how you feel about GCSEs, they would have given her a good dry runner what to do yeah. sat in those exams which, yeah which she's now going to have missed out on exactly and you know now we're sort of staring down the barrel of the first time she does that is for her a levels you know mm. so like you say she's not had a, a trial run with the gcse's you know it's it's a it's a very difficult year i think this year i was i must admit i was hopeful that it would be the same this year because in my mind gcse's and a levels are a two-year course you choose your options and then you spend two years you know learning all the different subjects and doing all your coursework and your practice and actually the disruption that covid has had in lockdown out of lockdown you know all this super fun stuff has been really significantly difficult for them and to to find out now that actually yes they will be sitting the exams you know it's a bit of a double-edged sword I think I'm not really sure how I feel about it. No, and you can see, and we'll, we'll definitely talk about you, but certainly with with Tabitha, as you say, those A levels are a considerable step up. I remember when Jake was going through this, and was like, we're actually being sort of like taken aback by just how much of a gear change was required between his biology GCSE and then his biology A level. Yeah. And if if students have had that disruption over the two years really truthfully will have done I mean, bubbles have been bursting all over the place this year as well uh, but it is it's sort of difficult to see then how they can have a fair sort of fair crack at it it's, it's terrifying I wouldn't want to do it you know and you're you're so right you know the leap from GCSE to A level is enormous and mm. you know I've done GCSEs and A levels and I don't remember it feeling as enormous then but I'm sure things are better now I think as a parent you're in that really difficult position of wanting to sort of make your children independent mm. and you know be able to revise and learn and but actually you know and like I say I'm a teacher although I don't teach GCC and A level but how do you teach children to revise because mm. I think schools are really good at saying well you know over half term do lots of revision and and I'm constantly saying to my children's teachers, well, have you modelled that? Have you mm. shown them? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And I, I just don't know. I'd, I'd like to be a fly yeah. on the wall on those, those lessons where apparently they are yeah. teaching them how to revise. Because I have to say, you know, you know, Tabitha was 
going through it first, she didn't really seem to have much of a plan. No. You know, which is obviously why we then used your tool, which mm. sort of dialed down the anxiety quite a lot and at least gave her some sort of tangible process, you know. And certainly, I definitely think from my experience that that's a sort of really big leap is how do you manage your own time? Going away from I've got homework set, I'll do it tonight because it has to be in tomorrow. And then mm. over time, that becomes slightly more relaxed of homework's been set, but it's not due in till Thursday. Right. And then my son goes, oh, I haven't got any homework. Exactly. Know, because right. it's not due in tomorrow. Exactly. You know? right. And I'm fairly sure I could probably knock this up in the corridor. Yeah. yeah. And actually, I, I hop about on my soapbox again about about homework because homework's nothing to do with you know additional learning homework I've read loads of different things about homework and one that's stuck in my mind is that it accounts for 0.2 percent of progress up to GCSE it's not about they're not going home and learning something new it's about the discipline mm. of going home and working by yourself that's what it's for and anyone that says anything else is not right. <laughs> <laughs> but there is I definitely think there is an element a big element to that routine because you can see that there are few and far between students out there who are highly motivated who'll come back and do stuff. For the vast majority of teens, students of this age, it's much more about, actually, I don't even really question it. If I can just sort of get into that habit of, of knuckling mm. down, getting on with this bit, the yeah. homework, as you say, some sort of consolidation, then that's the bit that's really going to stand them in good stead when it mm. comes to the exams. Because a, a particular bugbear of mine is the idea that your revision just happens in the run up to the exam. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the bit, and it is the cramming. I'm going to haul you over the coals. Yeah, that, 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 I still but do that. <laughs> but I think that's the thing, isn't it? We all do, and it's a bit like if you read something and you think, "Oh, I'm going to remember that," I'll highlight it. And I know full well that highlighting it is not effective. That's not going to stick in my head. No. There are other ways of doing it, but I think we re we resort to these comfort practices maybe that's what what we did when we were going through them ourselves and then sort of they just seem to be passed on and passed on but I, yeah and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy doesn't it and it's yes. you know it's the old I'm, I'm forever saying to people oh, I work better to deadline mm. you know and it's true because you know come report writing season I have colleagues who start their school reports weeks and weeks before me and I'm sort of you know blustering around going oh we've got three more weeks of teaching time how can you possibly start <laughs> writing reports you know to little but then I have a, a tried and tested formula of I go in the weekend before they are due and I do deep immersion, you know, and mm. I sit there and I write tens of thousands of words of my report. And that's just what works best for me. Mm. But that's, you know, 30 years on from my children, you know. <laughs> but also there's a difference, isn't there, between the report writing you're talking about there and, as you rightly say, I think GCSEs being memory tests. I mean, in yeah. I'm not for, being tested on my reports, exactly. Exactly right. So whereas for Jude, he's going to have eight, nine, ten subjects that he's got mm. to sort of do to sort of recall all that knowledge under pressure. And for sure. And he, paper. you know, part of his, I don't, it's not part of his ADHD, but alongside his ADHD, he's got poor working memory. Mm. So again, if you're asking, like you say, exactly right, you're asking children to remember lots and lots of facts which is why I don't like GCSEs, but, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult for children with, you know, learning needs or, you know, different kind of educational needs. It's, it's a one-fit, stylized exam process mm. for children that, you know, some of whom are going to find it really, really, well, I think all of whom find it difficult, but 
in different ways, you know. Exactly. And for some, like Jude, it's going to be inordinately more difficult. And because you really are, as you say, you're using one test as a, as a measure of, I mean, all performance, all capability up until this point, which isn't necessarily the best way. And this is the mm. sort of if you judge everyone by their ability to climb a tree, your fish will be stupid. It's, exactly. It's, you sort of yeah. feel like you're ending up in that kind of a territory of thinking, isn't there a better way, a broader way you could look at capability? And I think I think lots of teachers, parents, pupils were probably hoping that we, what happened with Tabitha's year would encourage another look at, you know, in general, these national exams and, and how they are. I think you, there was an opportunity here. It felt like an opportunity to sort of revisit, to listen to what some of the great educational minds are saying about yeah. uh, exams and this sort of linear approach. But actually, it seems that all it's really done is reinforce the fact that exams are best. Exams are fairest. And yeah, that's I why know. Jude and Tabitha, actually, with both of their courses, are going to end up finding themselves in a more harshly marked environment, I guess, than, than last year. And, and actually 2020 as well, because as they try to bring the grading under control sort of in, in inverted commas. How much do you think that plays on Jews' mind in particular? Are we, do we worry about this more as parents than our children ever do? Is it really just another day in the office that they turn up and they're going to get on with it? Or does it play on the back of their mind, do you think? I don't know. I don't know. I think I think sort of generalised anxiety about exams in general just sits with everybody doesn't it Hmm. there is more anxiety for Jude I think if I'm answering your question correctly about it because he I think he feels that they've been talking about the grade boundaries and the differences and you know it's such information overload about what the grading will be like and how they will be harsher this year in comparison to the last sort of two years and and then like I said to you earlier that you know he's at a selective school so he has to achieve you know a, a sort of formulaic set of results to be able to stay on and you know as if one thing wasn't bad enough mm. you know another thing comes along I think they're both hugely stressed and hugely anxious I think if I'm honest mm. you know and presumably you are too Oh, I think actually Jude said to me the other day, oh, for God's sake, you know, he was more stressed out than me. <laughs> and he's probably right. You know, he's probably right. You know, for all his foibles, he's fairly sort of, you know, black and white about a lot of things. Mm. And I think he's probably right. I think I am doing the the worrying about things that really I have zero control about. Mm. Whereas, you know, then I think as parents, we have to, walk that sort of tightrope of I need to encourage them and push them and nag them just enough without tipping them over the edge you know when does enough become too much Mm. when does going in and checking because you know like they're in their rooms they're working they've got desks in their rooms laptops they've got it all going on when does going in and checking and just saying right you've done an hour or you've done this much you need to have a break or when does that a become really annoying for them and but you know we do it because we want to be a sage that they're actually in there doing their work not playing on the xbox yes absolutely we carry probably more i'd like to think than they do but but i think that's absolutely right because not only as you say do we sort of want to make sure that they do the best because that was our role as parents but also 
I mean, we've, we've been through this. We know how yeah. unfortunately important these exams can be for Tabitha helping to determine what her next step is, what uni it is, for Jude, as you say, a, a selective school in particular. But these are the next steps. And although they shouldn't be the be all and end all, it doesn't feel like it's the right thing, really. It actually yeah. is. It is really important. Yeah, exactly. And you've been there and done it and got the t-shirt properly you, you you've gone through all the exams once already and you know I know I said to you before that children's mental health and pastoral care is kind of my area of expertise at school and I have to kind of be really careful to follow my own advice and mm. think about how what or what advice I give to parents as the teacher about how much pressure is too much and how much is assistance and how much is interference hmm. you know it's yeah. just it's, uh, I don't think we all get it right and I think if we do get it right I don't think we get it right all the time I, I absolutely believe that and I do think that as parents we are actually we can be really harsh on ourselves and the bit about you giving advice to others and then coming back and having to sort of play that <laughs> back to yourself it's, it's really key, isn't it? Because if a friend had sought your advice and said, look, what should I be doing here? You'd be able to deliver it in a much more sort of impartial, dispassionate way than actually when yeah. you're in that moment, think, oh, my God, they're throwing their life away. I just need them. Yeah. Like, why can't they just see see what I see? And actually, I think having those conversations, you know, with other parents, you know, with our peers is really helpful. I know that when you helped us out with all the, the study buddy stuff at TAB, a friend of mine, I was telling her about it, you know, she got it for, for her son. And, and so we also rode that gauntlet together and I saw her at the weekend and we were talking about, you know, the fun times of A-levels now. So I think you just have to keep, because if you talk to other people about it, honestly, where there's no kind of conspiracy about who's the best and who's winning the trophy, it's really helpful because you can all just take hair out together. Exactly. And, you know, you like you like to think, oh, you know, they won't be going to parties at the weekend and they won't be doing anything. But actually, that's not sustainable, is it? And no. it's not fair and it's not nice. So. And conspiracy actually is perfect, perfect analogy, because you do sort of get that feeling, don't you? Oh, is mine the only child not putting in yeah. like 20 hours a day? Oh. And, I'm, and I'm not for a second, actually, when I want them to do that in any case. But there is this... And I've, it's my favourite soapboxing, this sort of insta-perfect view of what other people's lives are like. And it yeah. actually, it's not, if you can find one critical friend and just drink wine and rant. Yeah, um, and be honest. Not, and although have other, and then, yeah. other ways of relaxing are available. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's not cathartic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think, you know, I did another sort of conversation about this during lockdown and uh, and I, I called it, you know, Olympic grade competitive parenting, you know, because it is. I'm, I don't do a lot of social media, barely any and only when I remember, but it's really it's like a competitive sport for some people. And most of it isn't true. None of it is helpful. Yes. And we're all just doing the best we can. And, and like you say, if you've got a critical mate who can just say, you're being insane, stop it. Let your child go to the park or let your child go around their friend's house. Nothing bad. They're not going to fail their GCSEs because they have a night off. That's what you need. Yes. You need that kind of reality check of, of someone saying to you, you're, you're being insane now, you know, yes. stop. Calm down. And <laughs> using those kinds of things as a sort of part of the, that conversation with the kids as well as you can, but you know you've got work to do. So yeah. if you're going to go to 
Joe's party, that's fine. You're going to want to lie in the following day until midday. But you, you know you'd need to factor the time in somewhere to catch up. Yeah. And I think that's part of sort of helping them to feel like they're accountable in sort of this pipe dream, but certainly having to take responsibility for, for how it is that they use time. Absolutely. And I think everything that I've looked at and studied and read and learned over the last 20 odd years in teaching is that they have to feel like they're in control. Mm. And if they feel like they're in control of the situation, then you're not the bad guy to some extent you know if they feel that you're giving them the option as you just said you know okay well can you afford to be in bed till midday tomorrow and actually I, I have seen with both of mine Jude we're getting there you know but Tabitha more so because she's elder, the elder one but you know they will make those choices well actually do you know what now I'm not going to go or do you know what I am going to get off the Xbox tonight and have an early night and get some sleep you know and they're the hallelujah moments that mm. you want and I think you know, if you get the odd one, then yeah. well done ours. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and these aren't the kinds of things that come overnight. They come because they nurtured, because actually yeah. Tabitha felt that I have to be more adult about this. Because if the parents are doing everything for them, no, you can't, then all that they need to do is rebel against us constantly oh, you yeah. just I don't you've taken away this from me it's it's all it's all woe is me whereas actually yeah. if you can start to give them a bit more I don't know, credibility and and sort of decision making power yeah. in their own lives little and often and certainly nothing big to start with but yeah then, certainly I found with Jake actually he surprised me about how much more nearly grown up he could be about those yeah. kinds of things and certainly when it came to A levels we sort of thought surely you've got to be on your own now I can't there's nothing more we can do so right you know they have to learn how to negotiate they have to learn how to acquiesce and go well do you know what I don't really want to do it but all right you might be right you know they that's not an innate kind of skill that any of us have who likes to acquiesce no one but actually by giving them those sort of small wins from before hopefully before GCSE or A level year then when it comes to those sort of bigger moments then they've at least got some kind of idea about well, it's, it might be no this time, but next week it might be a yes, you know, or whatever it is, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly when we were going through this with Jake, I found that it was one of the best tools in the parenting toolkit was this ability to manipulate his decision making. <laughs> and for him to yes. think, oh, I'm, <laughs> this is all about me. I'm making this. Whereas, and it's, it's not difficult. We've all managed to get our own way, certainly at least once or twice in my lifetime, I'm sure. And so you can, <laughs> you can sort of just nudge here, the right kind of wording here, the cleverly phrased question, just to, to help them to see sense. Because yeah. after all, we, we have been here, done it, and got the T-shirt, as you say. And so we can't stop them. I don't think it's a, I don't think we ought to stop them from making decisions and do our own thing. But at the yeah. same time, you don't want them to walk into the elephant traps. You just know they're there. No, exactly. No, it's not a trick. No one's no one's trying to be the winner in a in a parent teenager conversation, are they? It's about having the same goal and the shared kind of hope that everything will be all right after the endless months of you know revision and practice and exam taking at the end of it you know everybody wants the same outcome don't they and I think once you can get your kids to see that that you're not just trying to be an absolute pain that you have this shared goal Mm. then I think you're on the same page hopefully 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the utopia, the utopia that my yeah, but, house is. Huh? No one ever the, shouts in this house, Nathan. No, no, no. Nor, nor my. Actually, I'm the only no. one who shouts in my house. No, no door slamming or anything. <laughs> no. And actually, as you said that, I'm not quite sure what happened to the lighting, but it, it became very sunset-like over here. Was, uh, <laughs> dreamy, yeah. almost. Judy Garland singing. Yeah. <laughs> Judy Garland's always singing. <laughs> yes. So I want to just touch briefly about Jude's ADHD, because actually this month is, as I understand it, ADHD Awareness Month. And so forgive my complete ignorance, but what kinds of things does that actually mean in sort of in practice for Jude as he's coming up for his exams or schooling in general, actually? Schooling in general. Well, he was diagnosed, formally diagnosed when he was probably and late 12 early 13 years old I lose track of what school year we're in now mm. probably end of year eight early year nine and it came about in that you know I'd always had my suspicions and his cousin has ADHD and it's genetic and whilst all of us are probably on the spectrum to some extent it was it was getting to the point where he he was being you know more difficult to negotiate with and what comes with ADHD quite often is a very black and white outlook and, you know, right and wrong really matters to him and fair and unfair and, mm. you know, detentions and not detentions or, you know. So it was sort of, it was a behavioural concern of mine in some ways that he was going to start getting into trouble. Not only was he, you know, sort of going into his teenage years good and proper, but I had this sort of niggling concern. So so getting back to what you're asking me, for him, what it means is we took the decision to give him medication to be able to focus and concentrate at school. And that isn't as easy as it sounds. It's not just like you go to the doctors, they give you a tablet and off mm. you go. There's a lot of sort of many months, several months trying to get, you know, the doses right. It's all sort of the same umbrella medication. It's essentially speed. It's methylphenidate and you have to, you know, some brands of it don't work. Some do, some is too much. And what it can, some of the side effects are things like you get very high blood pressure. You can get your heart palpitations. Initially, he lost a lot of weight, a huge amount of weight in very short time. So we had to change the drugs. So it was a good six months before we had his drug pathway sorted. And for him, it means in terms of exams and things, he is allowed uh, rest breaks, which means he is most likely going to be in a separate room. So he's not going to be in the huge sports hall type scenario Mm. because he has to be able to get up, walk around, move about, do something else that isn't just sitting and looking at a piece of paper. Or in fact, what he does is sit there and look at everybody else to see right. everybody else is busily writing and then he has extreme anxiety and then is paralyzed into doing nothing so that will take away that and he gets extra time but for him I think he gets 25 percent additional time but I'm not sure we're going to to go down that path because sometimes for him it's just prolonging the agony mm. you know there may be subjects in which he wants to take the extra time so his drugs are 12 hours they're slow release he takes one in the morning he gets, I think, 40% of the drug all in one go, and then the rest of it is sort of slow release through the day. And this all helps him to focus and concentrate a bit more so that he stands a chance yeah. of taking it in 
I hesitate to use the word normal, like any other, yeah. any other yeah. pupil. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Other, you know, Joe Blogs, mm. that's it. And, and you know, has have his teachers got it right every time? No, they haven't. And, you know, I, I have two triggers with my children and, and not because they go to the school where I teach. You know, I have to sort of hide in the shadows a lot and I rarely poke my head above the parapet. But one of them is my children's mental health and my other one is, is Jude's ADHD. Mm. And I really am the poster girl for getting, you know, SEN needs right at school because I think it's, it's so important. It's not been easy for him. He, he really did not want the label. He did not want... So to this day, I don't think any of his friends who he's known since he was four years old they don't know he takes medication okay they don't some some of them now i think that he's been diagnosed but you know a they're boys so it's not really the sort of thing they talk about but b it's just not relevant for them to know Mm. but i suppose there's always going to be the odd teacher here and there that isn't quite so discreet so Mm. (laughs) and i shouldn't say this either but it makes me feel you know makes me feel bad for him that he has to cope with that added layer of stuff you know i mean it sounds so tricky and i'm sort of doing my best to empathize with it. and certainly when we think about what we started off talking about how gccs are sort of not a level playing field really are they it's up and down yeah. for the whole range of children different study types and boys and girls and all of these other kinds of things going on but actually when you look at someone who has particular educational needs in the same way that jude does and obviously autism and dyslexia there are there are a number of them that we're now aware of as you think we really ought to be doing everything that we can. Is it similar to if you've got poor eyesight, you'd wear glasses? I mean, you're just trying yeah. to correct something. Give yourself the oh, best you, chance. I, I am notorious in this house. I once sent back, and I've already mentioned I, I work where my children go to school. I once sent back a, a set of reports because every single one of his reports started with Jude needs to focus, Jude needs to pay attention, and I slammed them down on the desk with somebody terribly important and said this is like telling a deaf child to listen you know this this is not okay that was about two years ago I'm not sure he's forgiven me yet but you know Jude or the teacher Jude so now and they were very gracious and very apologetic and I mean that's just joined up thinking that it was just people not you know there is that isn't there that sort of element of I'm just not aware. I'm learning all the time. I'm, yeah. I'm trying I still, to understand. I still have meetings with his teachers who go, I don't believe in ADHD. I don't buy all this ADHD stuff. And it's like, well, I, I, you know, that's okay. <laughs> you don't have to. But, yeah. um, so but it's, You don't need to believe in oxygen. It's still there. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and well, it's, you know, hidden disabilities and all the rest of it. Don't get me mm. started. But I think it's just something that is a thing and it is there and it and it doesn't help the kids if the adults are not doing the joined up thinking. I think we don't walk on eggshells about it. And he's getting better. You know, the other day I said, there we are. There's some ADHD behavior right there. You know, when he was like throwing a tennis ball at the dog or something at the dog, <laughs> not for the dog. But And he'll laugh at stuff like that. But in the safety of his own house, you know. He doesn't like being different. He doesn't want to be different. Yeah, no. He doesn't want the extra time. He doesn't want to be in a separate room because it will mean questions will will follow. Mm. Oh, why weren't you in the exam type of thing? But we'll deal with that when we get to that. It is. Yeah. I think that is tricky, especially if you're if you're aware in that way. And you don't want I don't want the label. And I can understand why you wouldn't. That actually to do the best by yourself actually isn't necessarily as straightforward as giving yourself the best chance 
your exams if if your sort of yeah. your mental health is weighed down by all of these other considerations exactly and i think that's why when so he started using your study buddy at the so the end of year 10 when they did the big end of year exams at year 10 hmm. because with ADHD comes something called hyperfocus. So that's why they can all sit on their Xboxes for eight hours, apparently, because they, they're hyperfocusing on something. But it is an actual thing. Sadly, it doesn't hyperfocus that often on revision. But it, <laughs> or tidying bedrooms. Or tidying bedrooms. But what, what we found just before I then, I cracked it out then, was... You know, he, he was doing really, really well. And he had a whole load of science, you know, because he's doing the combined science. And he had, you know, pages and pages, obviously, that school had given him with all the different topics. And one day, I don't know what happened, but he suddenly clocked. That, and he was really proud of all the work he'd been doing. And, you know, I've done this, I've done this. And showing me all the different ways he was doing his revision. And then he realised how much he hadn't done. And it was quite early on in the week. And for somebody like him I mean for a lot of us I think in general but specifically for him because we're talking about him with ADHD Mm. then what happens is he just physically could not get himself out of that downward spiral of how much he had not done Mm. and therefore what happens is that kind of paralysis and he he stopped completely for a couple of days so that was when I then you know got it out (laughs) here we go we're going to do this and we laid it all out and I said right in this pile put all the stuff that you've already looked at you know and then in this pile we're going to start sorting out all your different subjects what you're going to do which day and that worked really well for him because Mm. most most kids with ADHD are quite OCD so he liked that kind of organizational tool of being able to break things up into bits which obviously specifically for him works really well Mm. because he could break it up into segments on the big board he could write in his rest breaks and all of those sorts of things so he liked that discipline and most children with ADHD do because without a tool like that and for some like my son without medication they can't get to that point by themselves Mm. it's not that they don't want to they can't you know so for him I think it was a really good sort of I don't mean comfort blanket in a, in a patronising way, but a really good scaffold, a really good model of, of where to start. Because for him, you know, I can sit there for hours telling him, but I'm his mother, he doesn't want to hear it from me. You know, he wants to be able to sort of work through the, the process himself. And I think that's where it was really helpful for him. I think to that extent, all of us are on that spectrum somewhere, aren't we? Because if you get to the point where you think, oh, I'm really proud of myself, I'm really pleased, I've done this, and then you see that just behind the curtain, you've got yeah. all of that again. I mean, it's demoralising. So if you oh, can get to that awful. point where you've got yourself a good to-do list, which has come from school or from wherever it's come from, without it being blatantly salesy, then actually that really does help because you start yeah. off on that position of knowing. I'm, I'm aware of what it is. I, it can't spiral out of control if I started off knowing I had 20 pieces of work to do no. ready for my and test. I, and I know it does sound silly, but I know I sort of mentioned it then, but I the amount of conversations I've had literally in the last week, bizarrely, because we're at that stage in turn where we're talking to teachers and, you know, this and the other for him, is, you know, them sort of talking about, they call them clinics at our school, maybe go to an after-school mm. clinic if you, if you feel you need a bit of support in this and the other. And the amount of times this week I've said, can we please not make it optional? Please, will you tell him it's, you know, it's mandatory. 
And I said, if you tell him, he'll do it. If I tell him, I'm his mother. So being able to give him the big chart and all, and I, I'm, you know, quite OCD myself. So each little pack of cards for each subject, I'd put in these sort of little Ziploc bags. Mm. So, and then put them in, you know, different sort of, but the same coloured sections and stuff. But so, you know, each one could be, you know, he just grabbed one. He knew that was one of the biology ones or that was one of the, you know, geography ones and could section it out even more you know and then it, it wasn't it wasn't like I was saying have you done your biology or have you done your this you know hmm. he could just see if he had exactly right and coming back to that whole idea of control again I mean he he's much more in charge of what's going on and sort of that feeling of autonomy where I can yeah I know, I know what it is I've got to do I don't need to answer to you and actually from a parent point of view what I found was that it was it was better for me not to have to ask. <laughs> so if I could, yeah. if I could see it was on the board. Hang on a minute, you're on the Xbox, but actually your board says you were going to be exactly doing yeah. chemistry. What's going on? Then you know he quite enjoyed the process. I think of once something was done for that particular day or that particular time, he then put it, you know, back in the Ziploc bag and got a different lot out, and you know that sort of ticking it, that physical sort of I've ticked that off. Hmm just for today, not forever, but, you know, for today, being able to take them off the board is quite satisfying. It's like, you know, my desk at work is covered in post-it notes. And I love being able to, you know, chuck a post-it note away when I've, I've done that particular task that I've, I've got to do. You know, it's, it's satisfying, isn't it? And I think Absolutely. that was kind of the process that he and Tabitha did, you know, in terms of revision. What it also did, I think, was help us start the revision, you know, like I say, in year 10, not in January, just before the mocks, you know, yes, absolutely getting and used to that kind of idea of how it was going to work. Exactly right. And without wanting to labour the point, but as you say, getting away from that cramming, that, that idea that actually it's as memory test, I'm just going to chuck as much as I can in my head and then sit down. Because yeah. you're destined for failure when it comes to so many subjects that they've got. I mean, and I think that's, the, that's that bit, isn't it? That if you can get them in the habit, get them in the routine, that not only does that become less painful later on, but actually it serves them well because they, they, it's just sort of all that embedding that's going on. That when they actually do come to sit down and do the exams, they're in a, so much of a stronger position than they would have yeah. been if they'd been up all night. And it's the only thing that will improve working memory is just constant, you know, using different methods, but constant, constant, constant time after time, revisiting, going back, revisiting and, you know, Ad infinitum almost sometimes, but yeah, it's the only it's the only way, isn't it? We all know it's the only way, but we're smug adults, so exactly. <laughs> we've done, we've done ours. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'm never allowed to say that here. No, when I did my GCSEs, no, they don't, I don't think they believe GCSEs were around when I was their age. I got that. What would happen? What would happen if you smudged the wax tablet? Or if it was too hot? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're funny now. <laughs> yeah, you wait till you have kids. Who's laughing then? <laughs> exactly. I'm fairly sure that I'm, I'm doing all the things that I swore I never would. Oh, but, um, sure. But you, you just know, don't you? Deep down, you know, it's, it's what they need to do. Yeah, yeah. Because we are very clever. Exactly. <laughs> really and thoroughly enjoyed that. Kate definitely brings a unique perspective. Teacher, safeguarding lead, school governor and of course mum to two exam facing teens. 
I loved her openness about her experiences, and in particular her honesty around her son's ADHD. I very much got the feeling that spades were being called spades. And for that, I'm going to look past her admission of cramming for exams, which is of course very naughty. I think that what chatting to Kate really drove home for me is just how difficult it's been for our teens recently, and the harshness of judging their performance in exams, or not. I mean, touch wood, we're at the tail end of this pandemic, but we're still seeing cases in schools, and then isolations that follow that. And for those students, and of course teachers, it's bound to have a knock-on effect on their learning. Plus, as Kate says, these are really two-year courses, and last year was riddled with remote learning and bursting bubbles. So is it really fair to be asking our teens to sit the exams this year, when the last two years have been assessed differently? Of course, if you're going to return to formal, centralised assessments in the form of exams, and it seems that we must, you have to start somewhere. But this year does seem to have the double whammy of that less than ideal learning environment, together with a harder line that's being taken on grade boundaries. And all of this you'd expect to take a toll on the students that are sitting their exams, and of course the level of concern that we feel as parents, naturally. And for Kate, with Tabitha, like all A-level students this year, you throw into that mix the fact that they haven't yet sat a formal exam in the form of their GCSEs. Now that might not seem critical if you sort of casually think about it, but for those students, they've not only missed out on some crucial experiences in the exam hall, but also they haven't had an opportunity to find out how they'll cope in the run-up to exams. Things like planning study and staying motivated. All in all, I think it's fair to say it's not what you'd want for your kids. Because naturally, that's what it's about, isn't it? We all want our kids to succeed, to be the best that they can. And that can be difficult enough if your child seems to want to fight against it, as it was the case with my own son. But it must be especially tricky when, like Jude, your child has got particular learning needs. Now I for one think that it's absolutely right that every possible step is taken to ensure, I mean as far as possible, that there's a level playing field. And I think the issue tends to be that some people see level as everyone being treated exactly the same. But what is it we really want out of education? Is it to see how someone's going to perform in circumstances that don't suit them? Or rather, to gauge their individual capability? Now, I get that I might be being a little idealistic, perhaps even naive, but I've definitely been called worse. My thanks to Kate for taking the time to chat with me, and to you for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did. Now, if you did, how would you feel about being on a future episode and sharing your story? real mums and real dads sharing how things are going for them. If you're up for a chat, please get in touch. Hello at thestudybuddy.com. And if you're looking for ways that you can support your own young person in the approach to their GCSEs and A-levels, then why not head over to our website, thestudybuddy.com. There you'll find a whole host of information, not just about our innovative time management and study organising approach, but also a blog that's packed full of useful articles, hints and tips. As I say, to find out more, make a beeline for thestudybuddy.com. If you found yourself nodding away to this episode, perhaps even exclaiming in involuntary agreement with what we've been talking about, would you mind leaving us a review, and if it's not too much to ask, a five-star rating? 
it really does all help us reach other parents who, like us, are looking for some sense of it all in the run-up to exams. Of course, don't forget to share the link to this and other episodes on your social media weapon of choice. It's greatly appreciated. There'll be another episode next week, so please don't forget to follow and subscribe to the Study Sessions podcast.